luxury fragrance. Everyone who loves scent has had that moment when you fall in love with a fragrance that is towards the top end of what you're willing to pay. But what makes a brand luxury? And if you are a luxury brand, how do you ensure that you provide an experience which lives up to your customers' expectations, bearing in mind that they'll have splashed out a significant amount of cash to pick up your scent? How do you make your brand stand out and catch the eye of those deep-pocketed scent enthusiasts? Joining us today is a guest who has significant experience of navigating the world of luxury scent and who knows what it takes to get the recipe for a luxury brand just right. Please join me in welcoming, from Electimus, Claire Circle thompson to the podcast. Hi Claire and thanks for joining us today. Hi Nicola, thank you for having us. So what's your specific role within the Electimus brand and what does a typical day look like for you? Uh, so my role is creative director for the brand. Um, I don't have a typical day. Um, my role spans across uh, new product development, uh, design, marketing, communications, um, and of course the creative direction on uh, the development of new scents as well. So it can range from um, writing, uh, creating content through to meetings with perfumers, uh, even musicians, <laughs> it spans into all different areas. So it's kind of creative direction across um, across the whole brand and, and its reach. Mm. And and how did you get into fragrance in the first place? Because you've been associated with a couple of brands now, haven't you? So what led you down this path? What was your sort of um, both career trajectory and also interest in fragrance like? So um, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and I, I was um, chatting about the degree I did. Um, and I studied design and history of design at, uh, at Manchester University. And and it was a great course. And uh, part of it was design. And, and actually, I was given free reign for uh, my final year uh, design project. And I created a brand of fragrance. Um, that was my kind of that was my opted choice of project. And then I went into the world of design, um, working with uh, a number of different brands, not really thinking of you know, brand direction for a fragrance house, particularly an opportunity at that point in time, um, but found myself working with luxury retailers, uh, fashion houses, uh, and hospitality, working with brands like the Savoy. Um, and actually, it was when I worked with uh, the Savoy and I was working on developing a curated collection for them, actually met with Lynn Harris at that point, talking about collaborating um, with her to create a scent for the Savoy. Um, she had a lot of products um, in the hotel and it became something that actually then sort of inspired me to start my own agency, which focused on multi-sensory. I'd done a lot of work previously in uh, sound design, in tone of voice, and all the other elements of sort of experiential design. And actually working with the Savoy, I gained such a sort of strong association with the Miller-Harris products just through, you know, the, the toiletries, um, that it made me realise how strong um, an asset fragrance is for brands generally. So that um, inspired me to start an agency, my own agency called Vetiver. And in that journey, I then, whilst working with the Savoy, got a phone call down from a guest staying in the hotel, asking if I knew anybody who could help with uh, the development of a bespoke fragrance. 
Um, that individual actually happened to be looking to create a brand of fragrance rather than a specific bespoke fragrance for himself. So we worked together for the next kind of 18 months, two years to create Thamine, which then we launched into Selfridges. So it was a phone call on a day, actually, <laughs> um, which brought me into that. But I think when I look back, it's something that I keep on coming back to and have kept on coming back to throughout my career. And whilst my role in uh, branding and creative direction has allowed me to work with artists and musicians and writers, designers, um, it just keeps on coming back to scent. So uh, here I am today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was it like, you know, presumably you care about scent and you love scent and you enjoy scent. Um, you know, is, is is that true for a start? And how did you get into wearing fragrance and appreciating fragrance yourself? Um, again, I think it was from a very young age. So uh, my my nanny nibs, my grandmother had um, Yardley's lavender, this sort of white bottle with uh, uh, or violets on it, um, and another one with lavender. And uh, so from then, um, I was fascinated. I used to keep her old bottles on my shelf when I was a child. Um, my mother has a really good nose for fragrance. And whilst sometimes the fragrances that she chose uh, in the 80s were a long way away, like uh, like Gio and <laughs> really like Beverly Hills, the really big fragrances, Reeve Gauche. Um, I didn't enjoy wearing those, but I did really enjoy the exploration of scent. So yeah, I remember going through Diorella and, um, uh, and then I had an obsession with Obsession for a while. Uh, I used to love dabbling with patchouli from Kensington Market when I went up to uh, you know, get myself some um, beaten up 501s. Um, then I created a, I had an obsession with Agnes B. I loved that fragrance as well, which is, um, again, it's a sort of patchouli base in there. But, oh yeah, I mean, I've just, it, it's been a lifelong passion. And um, and working on the first fragrance brand for me was a perfect excuse to, uh, spend longer in the halls and exploring all the different fragrances and all the niche fragrances and and um it was a yeah it was a channel for the passion that I've been carrying around personally for some time mm. and now that you are obviously deeply immersed within the fragrance industry is scent something that you still enjoy wearing or is it a bit of a busman's holiday for you now never a busman's holiday <laughs> no uh, my house stinks um, permanently. <laughs> I'm like, it smells like the Harrods uh, scent hall because uh, as well as all the fragrances that we have here, uh, I, uh, you know, I have a, an extensive library of other scents, which are, you know, my downstairs loo has a few books, but about 200 perfumes. So it becomes very much a part of everyday life. When we have people here, they come out. It's like, guess which fragrance I have? Um, and it's like one of the games of the house is like, can I actually identify every time which fragrance it is? And <laughs> and there's like great merriment when I've got it wrong on the odd occasion. <laughs> um, so but it's also something, it's a passion that I share with uh, my family and uh, my son often does some of the fragrance assessment. He's he's 17 um, and he shares my passion for scent and, and it's a joy bringing him on the journey as well. Mm. So when one starts to think about building a luxury fragrance brand, 
where do you even start with that? Um, for me, it comes down to narrative. Um, I think stories and storytelling, I'm, and particularly mythology, they're universal truths. So I think humans have explored stories in every different culture across the globe. And there are so many parallel stories which emerge in Nordic um, mythology, Roman mythology, Greek. Obviously, there's a link from Greek to Roman anyway, but in Chinese mythology and globally, I think um, mythology is a way that people explore uh, emotions, purpose, morality, uh, conflict, human nature, love. And their place in the world, and I and I and I. So I think for me, it's always about finding um, the story because it creates an anchor um, or a sort of a set of waypoints um, that that's helpful when you are creatively operating. So I could say quite an abstract concept which might resonate with somebody else, or it might not. But actually, I find that stories allow you to explore themes, feelings, emotions, uh, kind of visual references, olfactory references, uh, whatever inspires you on that on that journey um, in a way that can create debate and disagreement and total agreement and a new conversation. I think I just find storytelling um, a useful kind of construct um with which to start yeah. any creative process yeah i think that's really interesting i um i find mythology fascinating and particularly uh, well actually a lot a lot of kind of western mythology i've dabbled in various parts of it at some point my particular interest at the moment is in nordic mythology and i have a very uh, rudimentary and not very well researched or backed up theory that people look at Nordic mythology as proto-religion, but I actually think it's proto-psychology. It's people trying to work out big concepts like life and death and morality and how you should act and what the right way to act is and what happens if you act badly or outside a way that might be expected. And I just find that whole side of it uh, fascinating and in many respects, it's how I got into fragrance is the storytelling. So that mm. really resonates um, with me personally, for sure. So- I completely agree. I think it is both uh, religious in a way. And I think the the value of mythology is also the ability to share through generations uh, moral ethics codes, as well as entertain each other. Uh, we mustn't forget that, you know, they are full of drama, intrigue, and um, uh, frequently a playfulness, a comedy. They're a way of handing um, ethics, morality, stories, cautionary tales, um, and an entertainment through generations. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So Electimus is based around ancient Rome, you know, life traditions and mythology. How did that come about as the inspiration for this brand specifically? Um, so uh, as for the original inspiration, I'm not sure. I wasn't on board right at the beginning. Uh, so I joined Electimus about two and a half years ago. Um, but the I think it was born out of 
um, a recognition that uh, it's not just the mythology in, uh, in, in ancient Rome, but it was their absolute passion for perfume. So perfume was sort of woven through every part of life. I think partly out of necessity, I gather Rome really stank. <laughs> um, so it may well be that actually that kind of that undertones of, of having an urban environment without public you know there was the beginnings of public water systems but there were public toilets and um and in quite close proximity to one another in quite a high temperature so um i think that uh it's possibly partly born out of necessity but um also because they were the ancient romans were great explorers so as they conquered the universe uh they they collated and curated and collected uh, ingredients as they went and, and perfume um, was a really valued commodity um, and in terms of trade and all of the way across the Silk Route um, they collected uh, perfume ingredients and so from their public baths where they had a very kind of rigid way of moving through the public baths which were all about uh, sort of well-being massage cleansing rituals etc scent was very much a part of that the different oils and unguents in there but uh, banquets were um, scattered with rose petals and rose water there was rose water um, allegedly in the water fountains the public water fountains in ancient Rome personal perfume, incense as part of the uh, religious uh, ceremonies. So it was kind of everywhere. And I think that it's, so it's that passion for perfume as well as the mythology that inspired the birth of the brand. And, and actually Electimus, although it's not a direct translation, it's a sort of portmanteau word for to choose the best for Electimus. Um, so that was the, that was the birth of the brand uh, in about 2015. Mm. And what does it take for a brand like Electimus to be successful in today's market and to stand out? How do you go about engineering that as part of the brand development process? I think that's quite a difficult question to answer and one that we're probably asking ourselves every day. <laughs> it's quite a crowded marketplace. Um, so I think what you need to do in the end is stay true to the heart of the brand so so for us what we were trying to capture is the sort of drama and excess the extravagance um and the bigness of perfume in rome and that's something that we've gone with right the way through to packaging um and the development of fragrances so we don't want a portfolio of fragrances that smell the same. Uh, we want to keep innovating and, and creating. And it's a playground for us. It's an absolute joy. Um, but I think that there are certain pillars um, that we hold true to our brand so that when a fragrance comes out, it it feels like Electimus. So, and, and that for us is about being sort of daring and decadent, um, being quite, you know, unapologetic, actually. But we're also not wanting to be rude. I think there's a refinement to the construction and always a dedication to really high quality ingredients and taking a lot of care with 
the creation of the perfumes, um, not just for the top notes that hit you when you might be in the scent hall, but actually the fragrance that you live with for the rest of the day and and overnight and the next morning um, for us. Um, so there's the there's the staying true um, to your brand and personality and not being swayed necessarily by uh, what other people are doing. Um, and then, of course, it is about trying to gain visibility and awareness in, in a market that's very busy. Mm. Um, and that landscape is changing constantly, obviously, particularly over the last sort of two, two and a half years. It's been an interesting journey for um, an in- industry that is you actually have to be present with. So any other form of advertising or video or other other mediums, sound, for example, you 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 don't have to be in the same room as it um but scent is is immediate and personal Mm. i know that electimus began by bringing together a kind of middle eastern perfume influence with the growing taste we have in the uk for richer materials like ambers and ouds Mm. um how do you think those different schools of perfumery complement each other and how have you kind of balanced those within the Electimus brand, but then taking it beyond that moving forward? Again, I think it's a really interesting question. So if you look at the history of perfumery um, in the Middle East, but also similarly in Rome and, and other cultures, like you look to Egypt and, and other cultures where perfumery has been a really strong tr- tradition. And I think for me, Tom Ford was probably the first one to break through um, and bring oud and some of the what had more latterly uh, rather than over the last thousand years but, but more latterly over the last 100 years become uh, synonymous with Middle Eastern um, perfumery rather than Western. So I think he opened the gates uh, for the rest of the world to start appreciating that. And I, I think it's astonishing how quickly that's happened, to be honest. And I think there was obviously an appetite for it. And whilst marketing teams and global um, cosmetics companies had, um, and fashion brands, of course, uh, luxury fashion brands, had sort of owned perfumery um, for the last 100 or so years I think that's changed in a really interesting way very rapidly no longer are assumptions being made about what somebody likes or what somebody doesn't like and I think we're breaking grounds in terms of what is uh, non-gender specific (laughs) it's so whilst we're all told that women wear this and men wear that and men wear aftershave and women have to wear floral um, uh, I think I think what's interesting is the cultural predisposition for perfume as a form of personal expression um, has, has moved very rapidly from, from the Middle East or kind of from a more ancient um, time and, and perspective through to the rest of the world. Mm. Even in China, uh, the culture is changing very rapidly. So brands who are moving over to China five years ago were developing different fragrance lines because uh, there was a perceived difference of taste in the Asian market for lighter citrus green tea fragrances. Um, But while I was speaking to one of our perfumers last week, Julian Raskinet, he was... um, 
saying that he's finding now that the, these big fragrances like we're creating and so many of the other niche fragrance brands are enjoying are actually incredibly popular now in China without being changed. And it's the it's the ouds and the 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 kind of I don't know what we call them, heavy hitter, ouds, ambers, um, spicy florals uh, uh, are really popular there now. Mm. It's interesting as well that you talk about these uh, different markets globally. How does the increasing trend towards fragrance brands needing to be global operators affect how a brand like yours operates? You know, do you always have that eye on the international market? Um, and how how do you sort of balance the different? And maybe, maybe like you say, they're not so different anymore, but the differing tastes, the differing needs, the differing wants and desires of different markets. How do you balance all that and make sure that your brand still functions? Um, so again, I, I think it's about staying staying true to your kind of fragrance pillars and and um, and and what you're trying to create. And we've actually found that although we might find uh, a couple of our sort of dirtier ouds uh, might be better sellers in the Middle Eastern um, market. They sell everywhere and globally we see uh, the same best sellers emerging in, in each of our markets. So I think for us, the globalization issue is probably more um, fulfillment, supplier and logistics. Um, I, I think that there's a, for us, you know, particularly through the pandemic, we've been very keen to have access to consumers so that they can smell our fragrances. And and actually, uh, there's a perception with consumers that it should be free for us to send out those perfumes worldwide. But actually, because of dangerous goods uh, delivery, it, it, it costs us as much to send the goods as it does uh, for the customers to to pay for them. I mean, as in it, it, we lose money on on those. So I think that that actually it's really dull. It's it's more logistical issues and and commercial issues for the international distribution rather than any way that it affects our our fragrances, our product development, or or yeah, or our brand. Mm. And presumably, you've got to be if a retailer from across the other side of the world contacts you and says, oh, I want to stock your fragrances. Presumably you've got to undertake some form of quality to control to make sure they're the sort of establishment that you want to be stocked with and want to be associated with. Does that mean you get to go on lots of very exotic trips all around the world to make sure that they're the right shop for you? <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely love that to be the case. I really would. Unfortunately, no, I joined and the pandemic hit. So actually, one of the things which I'm looking forward to is beginning to get out and about to our retail network. I mean, we're in nearly 40 countries now, um, which has happened over the last two years. And and it's really important for me. I still do all the brand training with um, staff um, within the retailers personally, because I think that relationship building is really important. And it's when you have that one to one communication with People who are then in front of um, customers, um, not only for them to kind of like your brand because they are they feel like a part of, you know, uh, feel some sort of ownership of it actually, but but also because I find when I get out and about is when I actually learn 
uh, how fragrances are sold on the front line and how um, people react to them and what people like. And it's a much more, it, you know, it's two-way communication. So you're not just sitting there in, in a bell jar. It's it's great. I love I love being out at the retailers. Mm. Um, just need to be doing a lot more of it. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully as things begin to ease, you know, you'll be able to do that. If you ever need somebody to come in and carry your suitcases, I'll be more than okay. willing to uh, volunteer. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> so... Going forward, you know, as as perfume develops and as we enter the next phase, you know, the post-pandemic phase of perfume wearing, do you think globalisation will change our tastes here in the UK or not? Um, and have you got any top tips as to what to look out for in in sort of, not necessarily trends, but directions that perfume may go in in this allegedly post-pandemic world? I think in terms of trends and movement i think i think as 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 we all learn a lot more about fragrance which is you know beauty of globalization and digital actually because what's what's sprung up um within the digital environments and within social media is uh are these communities of uh passionate um people who share their views on and their their feelings about the sense as well as you know incredible incredible imagery but actually what we're astonished by is the thoughtful and um intuitive intelligent informed uh feedback that we get on our fragrances that obviously they're, they're, they are observing on on um our fellow uh brands as well and I think that what I'm seeing is a real knowledge base growing about perfumery and a language. Because if you kind of hark back to 10, 15 years ago and you were asking most people in the UK to describe the perfume that they wore, they might get as far as flowery or it's a bit like lemons. But actually, there wasn't the vocabulary um, to discuss fragrance, nor really the appetite or the knowledge of the different brands or the access to different brands through retailers for for them to, to understand more about perfume. And I think what we try and do through our communications is also sort of inspire that dialogue and also knowledge base with fragrance. We don't expect everybody to like all of our fragrances at all, but we're also not afraid of, um, you know, being quite punchy in, in with some of our fragrances. But I think for us, it's about the conversations and the vocabulary and the knowledge about fragrance, which is really changing quite quickly, both in the UK, but also worldwide. And I think along with that will come a bravery. So I was really inspired when Jo Malone first launched her first brand. And for me, that was quite um, a revelation to start talking about layering fragrances and actually the bravery to begin to own my own scent. And I think for me, the next step on this journey is um, encouraging people to actually express themselves through scent in the same way that you'd put together an outfit in a way that's completely individual to you. Actually, it's about how you layer scents or even um, uh, trying to move uh, bespoke perfumery um, towards mass market um, Mm. and to allow people to play with um, perfume and scent themselves in a way that that they might 
um, they might take art classes or I'm, I'm not necessarily saying classes, but, you know, people play with fashion. They play with makeup. They look at tutorials. They understand uh, what contouring does to your face or or what uh, gym activities, how that changes your body. And I think that there is um, there's going to be a shift in the next five years towards uh, a more mass market version of bespoke perfumery and people's ability to smell unique. Mm. Fabulously interesting that. You touched there upon the number of fragrances that Electimus has in the collection, which is large. What are the challenges and benefits that having such a, a wide variety and large number of scents in your catalogue? You know, what are some of the challenges and benefits that that brings? I think we're just beginning to learn that actually because uh, when I joined I think we had 15 fragrances and we launched a new collection which was two fragrances two in the lustrous collection Mercurial Cashmere last year um, as well so when we were up to 17 um, and we've now launched a new collection with two more fragrances 19 and actually we're currently developing another four or five fragrances with different perfumers that we were wanting to work with. And part of it's looking at the range and understanding that having, for me, from a communications point of view, um, and this is from a kind of commercial perspective, when it comes to certain seasons, I can see that we're stronger or weaker in terms of um, what people would classically consider a spring or a summer scent. So um, so that's one consideration, um, as well as looking at specific fragrance ingredients um, and categories and feeling like we might have an opportunity to kind of look at vanilla or more recently patchouli or so. So I think part of it is also like uh, looking at ingredients and passion points. But what we're learning now, we're going into a phase of more product development and more fragrances is whilst that's super exciting actually what we need to be realistic about is um, not necessarily the end computer uh, end consumers appetite for that because everybody always wants new it's actually how our retailers can manage that so um, we took a decision uh, pre-pandemic to focus um, on developing a really core foundation of uh, a sort of network boutique retailers who are passionate about Electimus and who uh, we feel back to your uh, question a little while ago actually we feel are the right retailers and that we have the correct brand adjacency um, within those retailers and their ability to know and love the brand and to sell it and represent Electimus well. So that was actually quite a fortunate decision given the pandemic because I think we were too small at that point to want to be in a department store and probably be able to stay there. So I think um, it's 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 about for us understanding the requirements of those but we're in an interesting transition phase now because we're beginning to have conversations uh, with the larger department stores and with that comes an expectation for more fragrance development and exclusives 
um, and more launches, which actually we're, we, we are, you know, we're ramped up to do now for the next couple of years. But we're also having <laughs> to find that we have to slow ourselves down again because having just launched two new fragrances last month, I'm kind of preparing for the next fragrance launch, but actually it feels like it's too soon for the smaller retailers to take on another fragrance. So we're learning um, along the way, I think is the really honest answer to that. And, and um, I think it'll probably drop into a pattern where the larger retailers that we work with will want the new launches, but not necessarily all the smaller retailers, and they may um, end up paring down some of the lines. And I'm sure that you know we're, we will discover one or two fragrances, which actually we feel aren't as representative brand or aren't selling as well globally and that it's time to kind of take a couple of those out and and as we add a couple in so that was probably a very long answer (laughs) Um, um, but yes I think is is the moral of that story yeah one of the things I find interesting about the Electimus brand is that you use different perfumers but when you smell across the whole range, it feels very much like there is a concept that holds it all together. And I'm, I'm not saying all the perfumes smell the same, but they have a particular style and a particular set of characteristics, mm. which I think is really interesting that you've achieved across different perfumers. I could understand it if it was all the same perfumer and you'd said, give us a suite of perfumes, one more citrusy, one more oody, one mm. more woody. But given that there has been this development um, sort of lifespan and different perfumers used, I find that really fascinating, actually. Has that been done, well, deliberately? And how have you managed to achieve that with a different cohort of perfumers? Um, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, We're always quite clear from the brief so we have some fragrance, we call them pillars, um, and they're a shared set of characteristics, which we brief in. So as well as the story and the narrative, um, frequently a key ingredient in there to be working with. Uh, but we also have a set of pillars, which include being sort of uh, uh, daring, um, being bold, um, highest quality and um but but polite you know we when you walk into a room you you know when an electimus fragrance walks into the room you know it's there um so that it's that kind of unapologetic nature but what we are very keen not to do is to go for novelty or shock value so we're always trying to create something that's very beautiful and refined, although quite big. (laughs) Um, So I think that those are probably the characteristics that I would say we shared, as well as the fact that we do draw from um, uh, the the type of ingredients you mentioned earlier, like rose and oud and ambers are, uh, are, are kind of, they, they appear, but, but then again, so does patchouli. That's in about uh, seven or eight of our fragrances. But I think not in a shouty way. It's, I would say, 
it is that set of sort of shared characteristics that hopefully gives the whole collection a, a, a kind of cohesion. Mm, yeah. What electomus scent do you wear the most? Um, I'm really fickle. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, it frequently depends on uh, what I'm writing about and what I'm talking about at the time. So I still actually write uh, the majority of our blogs and and um, and the content on social media. So I revisit our fragrances constantly, um, and I I'm frequently reassessing them. Actually, so it it might be that the last time I was really highlighting puritas was you know a few months ago and then I come back to it and actually I smell different things the whole time but in answer to your question I would say there are like if I was going out in the evening and it's not work related there are some that I return back to um that are probably pan seasonal so I uh I'm actually wearing amber aquilaria today I find it a fascinating fragrance I um it 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 takes me on a journey all day. I find it quite dynamic um, and I really like it. Um, Mercurial cashmere for me is like a, a comfort blanket. I, I, I adore it. Um, but I, but more, probably more wintry or more evening or when I'm wanting to feel more comforted. Um, I love Trajan. Uh, for me, it's happiness in a bottle and it's sunshine um and I think the other one I keep on returning to which is um in my opinion an unsung hero um amongst the fragrance community is Puritas I I I love it I for me it's incense but it's got a real sort of honey warmth around it it's not acrid in the way that some um sort of incense fragrances can be so yes my go-tos are probably those those four and Electimus has got a new collection of fragrances launching just now, just last month, uh, the Consort Collection. Could you tell us a little bit about those, please? Uh, yeah, I think, can I introduce the collection first? Because I think it mm. sort of explains a little bit about where the idea came from. So uh, the Consort, to consort with someone is is obviously to work with and, and to collaborate with. So for me, this collection is 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 about creative collaboration and exploring the different relationships between either perfumes or perfumers or potentially creatives in different fields um, in a multi-sensory way. Um, we decided to start with a pair um, uh, with one shared ingredient, and that was patchouli. And that was born out of the interest in uh, Persephone and Pluto, and um, uh, and the story of of um, Persephone's sort of move into the underworld, um, and it's probably not the right platform to go all the way into that story. Um, but but uh, that created the um, central narrative, which we then briefed to two perfumers, um, with patchouli as the uh, kind of central and shared note. Um, so it was it was looking at one ingredient through two lenses of the same story. Uh, so we worked on that with Christian Provenzano and Kevin Mathis, who we haven't worked with before. Um, so uh, both worked on both fragrances, actually, to explore both sides of, of that story. Um, but we so we've created Patchouli of the Underworld. Um, which is based around um, 
a brown Pluto, but the underworld as an environment. And then of Persephone, who was the daughter of the goddess of nature, um, who then became queen of the underworld. Um, so, yes, we launched those, uh, as you said, about a month ago. And are you going to plan? Are you planning to do any more where you take a central note and have two different perfumers? You know, the light and darkness of it. Are you going to be doing any more of that? Um, I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't say that's the focus for me. So I think the next uh, the next collaboration I'm already working with um, a uh, a fine jeweler actually, um, who's a friend of mine, um, Alice Ciccolini, and. She and I, uh, for her last collection of jewellery, she um, she was inspired by Roman goddesses. And um, we're both wanting to explore Venus. And so at the moment, there's a debate. Uh, there's two very different depictions of Venus. One is a sort of the goddess of pure love, purity and eternal love. And the other is uh, of the more sort of visceral, sexy, um, sultry sexuality side of love and um so it might be in that one a question of exploring sexuality we're not sure yet but it's it's not about light and dark i think it's about dualities mm. um we, it won't also always need to be in a pair because it might just be that we collaborate with somebody in a way that's a little bit different than um than previously uh, but yes, I think it's, we won't go for the same scent, uh, ingredient, I think in that, but, but it's, it's a collaborative and a creative journey. So I think that it's exciting to see what comes out of that. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever briefed a perfumer on an idea and then had something come back, which has totally surprised you either good or bad? Um, Yes, <laughs> both. So uh, when working with perfumers before Electimus, um, I did explore conversations with a couple of the fragrance houses, which I'm going to be very honest, as a niche brand, um, I found very disappointing because you're not a big boy. They're not confident that you're going to be large enough to be a big spend. And I felt really disappointed by the fact that it almost felt like we were being given fragrances off the shelf that maybe had been a non-submission from another brief. And, and that was really disappointing because for me, the excitement is in bringing a concept to life, um, through smell and scent and that that creative process uh, which actually in my view should work the same with a designer or a musician it's like this is my idea this is what I'd like to create and it's their kind of creative response so I think it was very disappointing when that wasn't a creative response um, and consequently we didn't work with them but I found it difficult in the creation of a fragrance a niche fragrance brand at that point which is probably about 10 years ago to be taken seriously or to for somebody to engage in a creative process with us um, I find that very different now and I think it's very interesting that uh, the larger fragrance houses now are beginning to bring on board 
um, uh, an account manager for the niche brands and taking us seriously because I think they recognize that there is there's a growth market there. So that that creative process now is absolutely there and, and coming to life. And 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 it's positively surprising um, kind of constantly. So there was one idea that I had a little while ago in a, in a brief that we're putting out. Um, which is quite fun it's quite playful and I'm really looking forward to to where it's going but the response was yeah the same perfumer um, responded very differently with four quite different scents which all sort of made sense as a response to the brief so then the difficulty is which one do you choose (laughs) Um, but yes it's uh, it was it it one of them, I think, particularly in the last conversation, was 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 a surprising response, but um, really interesting. It fascinated me. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, so those are my sensible questions. Let's move on to my quick fire ones now, which are just a bit of fun, and they're just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So no wrong answers, just whatever um, you know is on the tip of your brain. So, what's your favourite smell? Horse. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't think that one's come up before, actually, but yeah, horses. Oh, my gosh. So my daughter is, uh, uh, much to our constant dismay, um, uh, fanatic about horses. So we now have two miniature Shetlands, um, a Connemara pony, which is uh, what she started riding with when she was 11, and then grew too much, and we now have like a, a 16-3 Irish sports horse so I spend a lot of time in stables mucking out um and uh grooming and and all the rest of it and I just can't get enough of it it I love the smell uh particularly of the Connemara she smells different (laughs) than the Irish sports horse but there's something about the smell on their sort of skin um which is a combination of muck, which actually I also really like the smell of. I think it's very different um, than like dog poo or any other kind of fecal matter, I think, because of, it, of the vegetarian nature of it. But yeah, and, and shavings, bed, wood chip shavings, bedding, the kind of rugs, a little bit of sweat, although they don't have that kind of acrid. And there's something almost um, patchouli-like in it as well. Um, so yes, horse, pony. Yeah, yeah lovely. <laughs> Uh, what smells do you dislike? Um, vomit. Yeah. Makes me wretch every time. As a mum, I've been there enough times. Um, <laughs> I'm not great at it. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say that probably has to has to come on my highest. Yeah. If you could go anywhere and smell anything from any point in history, where would you go and what would you smell? I don't think that's a quick fire question. <laughs> um I don't know uh uh my brand hat says I should obviously go back to ancient Rome um because of its uh you know its lions tigers open toilets and and rose scented fountains but but I don't think that that is the case um I'm going to give you a really and I apologize cheesy answer it's back to the smell of my baby's necks when they were little Yeah, no, I think that's we'll we'll let you have that. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, what do you think fear smells like? I'm thinking quite fecal on that one. I've got I've got like uh, sort of uh, that sort of cumarin sweat um, 
acrid <laughs> um, urine, fecal. I think that I think it has to come back to your visceral response and your mm. physiological response to fear. Mm. Um, so I think that that would be probably what it smelled like. Yeah. What smell transports you to a strong olfactive memory and where does it take you? Um, I think probably there's a, there's a couple of ones. I mean, I find what's fascinating with smell and, um, memory is that, um, so I've learned, um, through a little bit of interest in, um, neuroscience is that we first, um, lock smells in our mind with the emotion because it's all connected to the limbic system. So we kind of file the smell with our emotional feeling at the time, which is why smell has that unique ability to un- instantly unlock the actually emotion. And, I, and and that happens in the main, the first time you smell a smell. So I think mm, the majority of the associations that I would have that instantly transport me back to a moment in time are probably kind of classic 70s, 80s child smells like Play-Doh and, and crayons um, and the link back to that. But I think also looping back to that white bottle with the pearl ribbon on it um, and I transported to kind of my grandmother putting on clear, slightly pink nail varnish and, and filing her nails and testing them on her tights um, just to see if if she'd actually managed to get all of the the sort of the little nicks on her nail and that and so so for me when I smell lavender it transports me um, straight back to nanny nibs um, and her testing her testing her nails on her tights. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> uh, what does summer smell of? It's it's that slightly. Um, amplified skin smell um that sort of sun-kissed smell um I'm not going to say burnt because that would suggest that it is burnt but there's something it's almost like a biscuity skin smell and sun cream so as soon as I smell that we're like off and away we're surfing we're we're outdoors we're canoeing we're swimming in you know uh in 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 the open water in the UK yeah I think combination of biscuity skin and sun cream what's your favorite food smell ah rice Mm. there's something about that that it's so comforting it's it's that and onions in butter I think both of them are just irresistible Mm. Uh, what smell reminds you of school liver And that is really not a good association. It was the days when liver was being cooked and you could smell it. It pervaded the entire school. And it's the most repulsive smell and meal. Um, And it's meant that for a lifetime, I can't really eat liver. (laughs) Even though I'm told it is delicious and I should like it, it just takes me back to the school halls and liver. And finally, um, if scientists were to invent a smellophone, who would you ring first? Now, they've got to smell really good the other end. That's the problem. You've got to make your choice quite well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, who would I, who would I, can this go through history as well? Or... Yeah, why not? <laughs> Is this like a Doctor Who smellophone? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I always loved 
the the story um that again it's i'm sure a myth um uh mark antony used to send his sails to alert cleopatra of his return and apparently it was um it was rose uh it was covered in rose oil and 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 i just think that's such a lovely concept of sort of sea salt and, and rose and and the romance and the the the, the passion of that and uh, allegedly he also used to ask her i think not to wash um before his return <laughs> which maybe <laughs> might put me off choosing that one actually as i think it through on the sweller phone but yeah i'll go with that <laughs> if people want to know more about electimus where should we send them what what, what web address uh, we are electimus.com. Um, so the spelling is E-L-E-C-T-I-M-U-S-S, <laughs> which I thought is worth actually saying because it, it's uh, people pronounce it quite differently. So, yes, it's electimus. Perfect. Um, thank you very much. And uh, Claire, it's been wonderful to talk to you today. I've had such fun and really great to hear a little bit more about the brand. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. The Sniff Perfume Podcast is written and produced by me, Nicola Thomas, with music by Phil Collingwood. You can find all our reviews online at the-sniff.com. We're also on Instagram, at the Sniff website, or Twitter with the same handle. If you'd like to support our work, please find me on Buy Me A Coffee. The web address is buymeacoffee.com forward slash the sniff. Our guest today was Claire Sokol Thompson from the UK-based brand Electimus. We weren't paid in cash or in kind to feature Claire or Electimus. We have received samples from the brand in the past so we could try the scents and then subsequently were gifted a full bottle by them. Thanks very much for listening.